Welcome to the LSAT Habits Podcast, where in each episode we present key habits you can master to raise your score. I'm your host and instructor, Jimmy D of JDLSAT.com. That's JDLSAT.com. So today's key habit is blind review. It's a technique that played a critical role in helping me improve my score, and it's something I share with my students because it does make a big difference throughout your study process. Uh, so blind review, or BR for short, is a review strategy that I learned from Seven Sage. Uh, from previous episodes, you may remember, I come from the Seven Sage School of LSAT prep, and I'm a big fan of J.Y. Ping, the founder, as well as the overall Seven Sage community. <clears throat> If you haven't been there already, please check out 7sage.com. That's numeral 7 and then the word sage, S-A-G-E dot com. So at its core, blind review is an effective means to review a practice test you've already taken where you minimize, if not completely eliminate, the biases that come with checking the answer key. So with conventional review, as opposed to BR. <clears throat> if you check the answer key and see that you picked the wrong answer, fine. But seeing what the actual correct answer is from the beginning can bias you from fully understanding how to do the problem correctly. For example, if I picked A and the answer is actually D, as in dog, and I see that by looking at the answer key, sure, there's a chance I could figure out why the answer actually is D. But knowing in advance what the answer key says can cut me off prematurely from thinking things through and arriving at the correct answer on my own, which is more likely to ensure that I will understand it. Staying with this example, if I think, okay, well the answer key says it's D, What's usually going on in my head is something along the lines of, okay, okay, I guess I kind of see uh, why the answer is D, <clears throat> and maybe I'll actually get the idea, but a lot of the time it's more that I kind of get it rather than solidly get it. See, because I know what the answer key says, I'm letting the answer key do the work for me rather than pushing me, pushing myself to really think through the problem. So as a result, maybe I have a hazy understanding of why the answer is actually D, or maybe I'm just kidding myself and I just want to move forward, so I kind of tell myself um, I get it rather than, um, I, you know, instead I don't really get it, but this process is tedious, I'm exhausted, and I just want to move forward. In the end, I shortchange myself. And I don't really get why the correct answer is the correct answer because I'm not properly reviewing. Now, let's contrast this with the concept of blind review. The key concept of, 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 right, of, of blind review is I don't know what the correct answer is. I just know that I was unsure when I originally did it under practice test conditions. And after that, I redo the problem with unlimited time and without knowing what the answer key says is the correct answer. Now, ideally, if redoing this problem, 
I end up figuring out the correct answer without the aid of the answer key. And I really thought things through. Then I probably learned something. And there's a good chance that I'll probably get problems like this right in the future. Because I disrupted my old pattern of thinking. And I figured out why this problem works and how to figure it out on my own. Without the biases of the answer key. <clears throat> now, let's think about some other scenarios. On the other hand, if I redo the problem and I still get it wrong, at least I tried. Maybe I made some progress. After all, this is some abstract stuff and sometimes just even little bits along the way of progress can make a difference. But then I could look at the explanation or discuss with my study partners or talk to an instructor. But I gave myself a chance to figure out the problem on my own which will really be what I need to learn properly rather than let the answer key guide me. It's a simple concept, this blind review process, but there are a number of pitfalls that students run into. So I'm gonna talk through how to practically do this and address some of the misconceptions and pitfalls. Let's start with the how. The basic idea <clears throat> is that you want to at least give yourself a chance to redo the problem and figure it out on your own and get to the correct answer on your own without the aid of the answer key. And there are two basic ways to do this. The standard way is to primarily focus on questions you are having challenges with. Here's how to do it. While taking the practice test, the only thing you have to do related to blind review is flag any question that you're reasonably uncertain about. Then after you've completed the practice test, go to blind review. Simply, and by that I mean simply redo the questions that you flagged during the practice test. Now ideally, if you then get these right, these questions that you flagged and decided to redo with unlimited time, and without the assistance of the answer key, and you know why you got them right, then you're in a good place on these question types and you've learned something. And there's a decent chance you're going to get them right when you get similar patterns or similar questions in the future. Now, on the other hand, if after blind reviewing a question, basically redoing it with unlimited time, a question that you flagged, um, or if you got them right by pure luck, so again, if you got them wrong or you got them right by pure luck, then you're not in such a good place and you need to review the explanation for that question and perhaps do some more work on that question type, maybe with a specific lesson, depending on the course you're using, um, review lessons or talk with study buddies about it or go to your instructor if you have one. But that's the gist of it, right? If you get it right and you know why you got it right, then you're probably in a good place. If you got it wrong, or, or if you did get it right, but you don't know why, then that requires further work. But again, we're removing the biases of knowing what the correct answer is. So if you get it right and you've worked through it blindly, so to speak, then you figured it out on your own. And you didn't just kind of convince yourself because of the authority of the answer key. And that's basically how it works. Before I get into the next variation, I do want to address a common pitfall here, though. A lot of times students will... Um, flag too much. To explain what I mean here, the criteria to flag a problem 
is if you're uncertain about a question you're trying to answer during the practice test. But for whatever reason, students are afraid that if they're the slightest bit uncertain, that they better flag it. So if you're 99% certain, but 1% of you is uncertain about a question, you might flag it. And that's a little too much. Um, I've seen this over and over again with lots of students. Um, this very week, I had a, a number of new students that, that were doing something similar to this. And I have to confess, I did this as a student. Um, and, you know, it's understandable why someone would do that, like flag too much. Um, but it's problematic because the result is that you have tons of questions flagged. And then you're blind reviewing most of the test rather than just the certain questions that were challenging. And I'll tell you, some students even decide, well, I'm flagging so many of these, I might as well just blind review every question on the exam. Now, this may not seem like much of a problem since you're putting in extra work and um, working hard is generally a good thing, but it really is not that effective. And here's what I mean. Inevitably, you'll find that uh, blind reviewing the bulk of the test, you know, over flagging or just everything, um, rather than just the few select questions that you should be flagging because you're uncertain about, becomes a really tedious, onerous process. Because now you're basically redoing the entire test. And a limited time is great, but now you're sitting with this long, onerous test and splitting hairs over everything. So you let the quality suffer because you're basically driving yourself nuts about the slightest uncertainty in any question. And if you do it this way, then after a while, exhaustion takes over because the questions that you, for the most part, were fine on, you're splitting hairs over. And then your energy is sapped for the questions you really should be focusing on, the ones you should have only flagged, the ones where you really do need to blind review. As a result, quality suffers overall, and some students just give up on the process or they're less likely to do it or do it properly. In some ways, I can't blame them. Um, so again, be careful about this. Don't over flag. I, I'm not saying, you know, if you over flag a little bit, it's not that big a deal. But don't try to flag everything under the sun because you're worried about the slightest bit of uncertainty. Um, blind review requires to really think through these abstract ideas. So... Why split hairs if you're only the slightest bit uncertain about something? Just save that process for questions that you're really having challenges with. And let me give you a key word that made a big difference for me. The word is reasonable. When I was over flagging, if you will, I eventually changed my standards for flagging a question. I decided that if I was reasonably certain, then no need to flag the question. However, if I was reasonably uncertain about a question, then I went ahead, I went ahead and flagged the question. Um, now this is just one word, reasonable, but I think it puts the standard in perspective. Even if you have a slightly different idea of what the word reasonable is than I do, it's a very typical LSAT thing, splitting hairs over how we define reasonable. Um, but, you know, again, people have different standards. I do think most of us would agree that there's a difference between flagging something um, if you're reasonably uncertain versus if you're the tiniest bit uncertain. So again, using that standard of reasonable can be your best friend here. And by tightening my criteria for flagging questions to be reasonable 
as a student, I ended up naturally flagging fewer questions. But those questions tended to be closer to where I needed more help. And that was a better use of my time. I focused on the things that made the biggest difference where I needed help. I put more of my energy there. And that way the process wasn't so onerous. And I got out of it what I needed. Um, rather than sapping my energy, I focused where I needed. And those blind re review sessions were far more effective and productive. So again, remember the word reasonable. If you're reasonably uncertain, then go ahead and flag for blind review. But I don't want you splitting hairs saying, well, I'm 99% certain, so I'm slightly half a percent uncertain. So don't do that. Don't drive yourself nuts like that. This is a challenging exam, and the study process can be rigorous. Don't drive yourself any more crazy than you need to. Um, now, there's another basic way to blind review that preserves, still preserves the concept of blind review, but it's a bit more streamlined. And by that, I mean blind review instead of the ones you flag because you're uncertain. Instead, blind review the questions you got wrong. It is different than the traditional way Seven Sage teaches of, again, you know, focusing on the ones you're uncertain about that you flagged. But if you find that you're getting very few wrong, if you're getting close to your target score, then maybe this is a better use of your time. I, I, I will say, I don't always recommend this to students starting out. I think you're better off flagging the ones you're uncertain about because it does help you get a sense of what you know and what you don't know. And just it just can serve you really well. But as you progress, maybe as you get closer to your target score, maybe you want to try something like this. Um, or, you know, if you're in the 160s and you want to get into the 170s, and so, you know, you're, you've got a solid, solid foundation. It's a matter of these core few questions, then maybe this is the way to go. Um, but basically, how does this work? Don't worry so much about this uncertainty business, at least if you're going to do it this way, um, or flagging things. Instead, primarily base your blind review on questions you got wrong. So again, how do we do this? Take the test, again, without worrying about flagging based on uncertainty. Um, you could still flag if there's one or two that you're like, oh, I, I definitely need this one. But for the most part, don't make that your focus. Just take the test, not having to flag for uncertainty. Then grade the test. But, and this part is critical. It's critical you don't remember the correct answers from the answer key. So however you end up grading it, whether it's through a score grader or doing it manually, make a list of questions you got wrong. But again, just do not pay attention to what the answer key says is the correct answer for those. But then you've got that list of questions you got wrong. Redo those questions. After you've redone those questions, just follow the same steps you would for a conventional blind review at this point. To get the questions right, you know why the question is right from the, the blind review, then you're good to go. On the other hand, if you got it right but you don't know why you got it right or if you got it wrong, then you got more work to do. Look at the explanation, review lessons if need to, talk to your friends that you're studying with, or go to your instructor if you have one. But here's the bottom line. Whichever method you choose, the conventional method of blind review, where you flag questions you're uncertain about, during the practice test, or blind reviewing the questions that you just got wrong and not knowing what the answer is. Either way, you're still preserving the core concept behind blind review. And that is, you don't know what the answer key says it says is correct until you've redone the problem a second time. So that way you're not by the biased, excuse me, 
by the authority of the answer key. And it forces you to really think a problem through and ideally figure it out on your own. Now let's talk about why blind review or BR for short works. So we've discussed part of it. <clears throat> it eliminates what does not work about traditional review, where the bias of the answer key can prevent you from really thinking through a problem. Let's talk a little bit about why this works so effectively. I'll begin with a question a lot of people ask. Hey, this is a time test, so why does it matter so much if I get the answer correct when I have unlimited time? And the answer to that is that it's because of the process. You see, in the process of thinking things through, you make connections between abstract ideas that you wouldn't be able to do during a time PT. And sure, this is with, uh, without time, the time constraints, but you have the freedom to learn and explore to self-correct and the practice. And the things that you learn, you're going to carry over once you've made them muscle memory and solidified your understanding. You'll carry them over and benefit from that the next time you take a PT. And yes, you won't get the same questions again, but you will get questions with similar patterns. So what you've learned from the blind review process, thinking it through and, and making those connections, that's going to serve you well when you go into your next PT and in the long term. In some ways, it's kind of like honing technique in sports. Um, you know, if your coach gives you feedback from a tennis match, um, the tennis match is kind of like the PT and the feedback and you practicing is kind of like blind review. You have unlimited time. You can experiment, practice things over and over again until you get it right. Again, think about it. Practice as opposed to a game, right? With a game, no one's going to stop the clock and wait for you. You're on time. You're, you know, you're in the middle of time. No one's waiting for you. When you're in practice, and depending on what you choose for practice, you have freedom. You can repeat things. You can follow them through. You can self-correct. And so again, it's very much like practice as opposed to a game. If a coach corrects something you're doing or provides a new technique in, in a game or a sport, it's not like they're going to throw you immediately into a new game or a match. Ideally, they're going to give you time to practice it. And you need that time, that freedom to practice. Just like with BR, you're going to try those new things the coach suggested. You're going to self-correct, repeat them, slow things down, isolate that way, when you do get into your next match or kind of like or your next game or another PT, you'll have practiced those things and honed them so that way you can implement them in the next match, a.k.a. PT or game, whatever analogy part you want to use. Um, a few other points. Quality over quantity. So during BR, like it's really critical that you use this time because, again, these concepts can be really abstract. So you, you want to use this time as best you can to really think things through in terms of quality and take these abstract ideas and really flesh them out. So one thing I suggest, feel free to talk out your thinking. I always say that a way to really learn something is to teach it to someone because teaching forces you to crystallize key concepts. You almost want to pretend you're talking this out or teaching it to yourself. So yeah, literally verbalize it, talk it out. Just tell your family or people you live with that you're not crazy. You're just doing this to make sure that you learned. Um, but the bottom line is that this is really abstract stuff. And the more that you can engage with it, the better. Talking it out 
Verbalizing these abstract concepts is a great way to do that. Another tip I recommend is consider doing the blind review process the next day. So it's commonly suggested to do it the same day so you don't lose familiarity with the material. So ideally, right, people say take the PT and then maybe take a break or have lunch or whatever, as JY from Seven Sage says. And then, you know, don't let too much time go by, but then that same day, go and blind review it. I have to say I have a little bit of a different opinion. Um, this is from my experience as a student. When I would do it the same day, I mean, even after taking a break, I'd still feel fatigued. And I don't think I would get as much out of my blind review. Um, and so you know, think about it. You're doing this intense higher order thinking exam, uh, one of the hardest exams that's out there. And you've got 35 minutes per section. And it's just a very tedious process. And then you give yourself a little break and then you come back to it. Your head's not always going to be in the best place. I think you need time to recover. So in my experience and what I've shared with my students is, Wait until the next day to blind review it. Um, so I found that that was a sweet spot for me because, you know, um, after a good night of sleep, I could come back with fresh eyes and that can make all the difference. I wouldn't have entirely forgotten the exam. It's only been a day. But again, it'd be that sweet spot where I had fresh eyes. I had mental clarity. I had energy. Um I could really focus on things and see questions in a new light. And it wasn't that far away again where I had to really refamiliarize myself with, with things. I mean, you'd be surprised at how much you still maintain. But even if you do need to refamiliarize yourself with a test, it's not a big deal because that trade-off of having a fresh perspective and not being so attached by thing and just things and just having those fresh eyes to see things clearer and being alert after a good night of sleep, it just makes it well worth it. Even besides sleep, you know, you've recovered from the fatigue, again, that one feels after these 35-minute sections of intense higher-order thinking, and that is well worth it. I want you to have that sweet spot of being somewhat familiar, sure, being familiar, but more importantly, coming to those questions again in a recovered peak condition, again, with fresh eyes. And, you know, the other thing I'll say is like, you know, you're also not in a rush trying to cram it into one day because there are only so many hours in a day. If you wait the next day, odds are you probably have more time that day, more breathing room. So again, you'll be able to get more out of it. So again, I really want to encourage you, experiment with doing it the next day rather than forcing yourself to do it the same day. And then finally, um, if you use the score grader, um, you might get two grades or, you know, you might, if you, if you do, you, some people traditionally, when they do this, they'll grade their original PT score, and then they'll grade, essentially grade the score with their new blind review changed answers. So they'll get two grades. And I, you know, I think a lot of people do read a bit too much into the difference between those numbers. I'll often hear students say, oh, I got a 160 on my, keep getting a 160 on my PTs, but hey, I'm getting a 165 on my BR. Um, so how do I bridge that gap? And, you know, obviously you want to get closer to the 165, you want to raise your score. But, right, like, I'm a pretty positive person, I believe in my students, but I would argue that number is probably the least important thing. That, that you know, that BR number, that new score you get, if you were to tabulate with your score with your new answers, I mean, you had unlimited time, you had hindsight, you know, 
Um, so it's not like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you had a PT, you got a 160, you BR'd it, you got a 165. It's not like within a day or two, if you take the actual LSAT, you, you're probably going to get closer to the original PT score than the BR score. So that, that number, that changed number is not as big a deal. And again, I'm not trying to be negative. I just don't want you to read too much into that number. Our goal, of course, is to raise your score. But the thing is, you're more likely to raise that score based on what you learned rather than looking at these two numbers. So what did you learn in the process? Again, this process allows you to think things through, um, have the freedom to explore, try different ideas, flesh things out. So really focus on the substance and not the numbers. And that is how you change the numbers. So here's what I always suggest. Write down what you learned. And I really encourage you, write down what you've learned after the PT, write down your takeaways, write down what you've learned after the BR, write down your takeaways from that when you've had time to sit things through. And when you consistently do that, that again is what's going to lead to a change in your numbers because it really reinforces the process. I give my students what I call a PT BR log that naturally allows you to record numbers uh, for your scoring of each section. But more important, the thing is, I always tell them, write down your takeaways. Because you're going to get a lot of great things out of your experience PTing and, of course, blind reviewing it. You'll have a lot of observations. But if you don't write them down, especially after this exhausting exam, you're probably going to forget about them. Whereas if you write them down, right, it forces you to internalize them, think them through, you're probably going to retain them. And then more importantly, you have a record so you can explore them, you can troubleshoot, you can go over them with your instructor. But writing down those things really is a great way to um, get more out of the process. Um, so yeah, I just definitely recommend that you write down your takeaways from both the PT and the BR. An Excel sheet can be great or Google Sheets or something. Just Log that stuff because, again, it's the substance. Get as specific as you can. What did you learn? What did you like that you want to improve on or replicate? What did you not like so much that you want to do differently, even if you don't have the solution? But, you know, you can think about that and maybe brainstorm ways to do it better in the future. But, again, the substance, the quality, that's what's going to change the numbers. So... This has been the process of blind review. I hope this has been helpful for you. I can tell you for me, it was a, I'm not going to say it was the number one thing because there are so many factors, but it was an essential um, factor that helped me increase my score. And I will say in my experience, it's one of the things that you can use throughout. Like I know when someone's first starting out, they've got way more room to grow. If they're in the 140s, 150s, there's so many things that they can do to help them get into the higher 150s or 160s. But then as they're closing in to their target score in the 160s or the 170s, right, then there are fewer things, there are fewer slivers. Um, you know, you really want to bend that curve. But I can say that throughout the blind review process is something um, that benefits you no matter where you are. Early on, it helps you, but it really still helps you as you're closing in on those slivers getting close to your target score. So it's an invaluable process. There's no perfect way to do it, at least in my opinion. Um, but again, quality over quantity. If you want to do the traditional or the conventional way, I should say, of doing it based on 
flagging what you're uncertain about, cool. Um, if you feel you're at a place where you want to do it based on the ones you got wrong, that's fine too. But the bottom line is do not know what the answer, do not look at what the answer key says and have that bias you. Think it through. Get there on your own rather than having the assistance of the answer key. At least try it. Because if you can get there on your own first without the answer key, that's the best way to learn something. So again, my name is Jimmy D. The website is jdlsat.com. It's been a pleasure. Uh, this is our fourth episode. We've got more coming. And I just started doing this. And so, you know, there are probably going to be some things that could be better. Um, work in progress like we all are, like I always tell my students. You don't have a PT you're very thrilled with, fine. Take another one. What can you learn? How can you get better? I'm doing the same thing here along with you with this podcast. Um, so please subscribe. Please check out the website, jdlsat.com. Thank you so much for your time, and please stay tuned for more episodes.